This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I have many Christians who talk to me now amazed at some of the stories from my days behind the prison walls of a cult. And I always get a chuckle out of them when I say things like, until you have placed your faith in a prophecy about egg-shaped cars, you have never known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joking, of course. One of the funniest events in my list of crazy stories is when the cult leader, William Marion Branham, preached a sermon entitled, Marriage and Divorce. There is enough situational comedy surrounding that sermon that television could produce an entire series on primetime TV. The sermon was preached in 1965, and according to Branham, this was a full 32 years into his ministry since he learned the truth about Pentecostalism. Although, yes, he lied about that, which is another comedy routine for another day. The founding fathers of this cult say that this sermon was special because William Branham brought the great mystery of marriage and divorce. How privileged we are that God sent a prophet to show us this mystery. (laughs) Otherwise, we might have traded our wives around like cattle. (laughs) It's a riot. 32 years. 32 years of claiming to preach the Bible. And this is a great mystery. It's right there in the Bible. All you have to do is read the book. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Moses wrote about it. It's ironic because even the prophet Malachi, who was supposed to have announced this great cult leader, even Malachi wrote about marriage and divorce. Malachi 2.16 For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The climax of the comedy is when we find that the sermon was a result of his own son, Billy Paul Branham, getting divorced and then remarried. 
Let's pretend we know nothing about what the Bible says on this subject. Then, since we don't know, Billy Paul is under the blanket of ignorance. I can hear Colonel Clink, I know nothing, nothing. <laughs> Can't you see the humor? 32 years of claiming to have read the Bible, and he didn't even know that. I can just hear the men of the church around the water coolers the next day. Boy, I sure wish I'd left Ethel and married Barbara before Sunday. Now I'm stuck with her. <laughs> you see, that's what happens when you worship in a legalistic cult. That's what happens when you're falsely taught that a Christian does not sin. You have to bend the rules so that the leader and his family are not shown to be sinners. We're all sinners. We're all unworthy, but we're made worthy by the power that Jesus did on the cross. I like how Paul says it. He says it best in 1 Timothy 1. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisibly, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How can you say it better than this? One of my newfound freedoms in life is the Sunday school in my church. It is absolutely amazing. And after the first visit, I told my wife, I've never been to Sunday school in my life. Sunday school in the cult was all about stories about how some of the old men were blessed enough to have spent time with a prophet. How he told them to go fishing and enjoy themselves, and they couldn't even cast the reel without bringing in a fish. Or how he just knew that those antlers were going to be a certain size. And how, you know, how kind he was to others. It was worship of a man, not studying of the Bible. Had nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, they ought to call it a memorial service for a dead guy, not a school to learn the Bible. The church I attend are full of men who are enthusiastic for learning more about God, and they continually learn to seek more, not sit on a stump so that other man, some other man had told them everything that they needed to know about the Bible. It's ironic, because William Branham told everyone in the cult not to watch television or go to movies. This was sin. Yet 80% of the cult, 80%, will now be found in front of their televisions or in theaters discussing how good the latest movie is. And for years, many in the cult churches had their televisions in the closets. <laughs> it's funny stuff. Yet while they will sit in a theater and watch a movie for themselves, they want to take some other man's word about their Bibles. Have you ever thought what it would be like if this situation were reversed? What if they actually listened to their prophet and stopped watching this evil thing? And they took somebody else's word about it? What if instead of watching Star Trek on the big screen with all of its amazing special effects, and instead they sat in circles in each other's houses 
or in this memorial service that they called Sunday School, and they told how the great Captain Kirk led his crew to conquer the villain. <laughs> Do you think the movie would be as good hearing it from somebody else? Folks, the Bible is the same way. Even better. The real eye-opener for me was the past several weeks in Sunday School. We have been studying the book of Job. Not just the summary like most cult pastors do, which can be found easily in the first four chapters. We're studying the entire book, chapter by chapter by chapter, starting with chapter 1 and ending at chapter 42. Many cult pastors and many Christian pastors preach Job. How Job was patient and enduring and how he had false accusers. But there's so much more to the story that is in the book. Not to mention the fact that the cult was taught the Islamic version of Job. Think of that. Not even the Job that was in the Christian Bible. We were taught Islamic Job. Islam is worship of a prophet. The prophet Muhammad. Prophets in Muhammad are lifted up to greater esteem than other men, just like we find in the cult of William Branham. Therefore, all great men in the Bible must be prophets. Branham was no different. Here's the summary of Branham's teaching in Job, found in a sermon that was dedicated to teaching his congregation about Job. Branham says this, Job, let's take a little of his life. Job was a prophet. He was a man that lived back before the Bible was written. It's thought that Job was one of the oldest books of the Bible because it was written before Genesis was written. Job, this great warrior and prophet, <laughs> was a mighty man in his day. No doubt he had been brought up and served the Lord all his life and lived such a gallant life to the people. All had respects for him. 1965, I have heard, but now I see. Starting in 1950... Branham started teaching that Job was a great prophet of old, the messenger for the hour. Job called, Branham called Job a prophet over 300 times on recorded tape. Just because Job declared that his God was real and that one day he would stand before God in Job 19, Branham twists the single statement to trick the people, trick them into thinking that the book of Job was a book of prophecy. And it wasn't. <laughs> if you're a Muslim and you follow the teaching of the Quran, then yes, you believe that Job was a prophet. You might hear them say, just like our great leader, praise be to Allah. Replace Allah with Branham and you'll find what the people in the cult of William Branham might say. But if you're a Christian and if you study your Bible, not take somebody else's word for it. You'll know that Job was a man, just like you and me. He stood firmly on his belief that the sacrifice made him pure and holy. Just like Christians stand firmly on their belief that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ saves them from their sins. In fact, most Christian scholars agree that while written by a Jew, the man Job was not even Jewish. In the story, Job was from Edom, not exactly where you're likely to find a Jew. He was far more likely a Gentile. And for those of you who are bondage in the legalistic cult, the story will be very enlightening. 
because it's actually a book representing the grace that we have through Christ's sacrifice. One of the accusers represents legalistic teaching, what Paul would call a worldly religion. Job had three accusers, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And one of them came with the voice of a philosopher, one like a historian, and one representing legalism. Eliphaz spoke of the great, just like the great philosophers of old, if you sin, you will suffer. And Bildad looked at Job's past rather than looking at the sacrifice. You're suffering, therefore you must have been sinning. It reminds you of the little old ladies in the cult shaking their fingers at you when you go through a trial. Zophar was the one who represented legalism. He came with a straight, solid accusation. You are sinning. Get down to the altar and repent, sinner. <laughs> I've been in several churches, cult churches, that they beat their congregations down like they're whipping them into submission. Constantly, service after service, they pound the people into the ground rather than lift them up and give them encouragement. The people are sheep, all right constantly sheared until they're bearing bruises from their last shearing. This is how Zophar was to Job. Job sat there, taking his pounding from Zophar, but he wasn't looking to how he lived his life, the things that he had done, or even what he had been thinking that might have been ungodly. <clears throat> Job knew that he was safe and he was secure because of the sacrifice. Many Christian pastors today falsely teach that Job lived some perfect life that only Christ could live, and that Job himself represented Christ living the perfect life. But nothing could be farther from the truth. No man is without sin. All have fell short. Again, Job was a man like you and like me. In fact, the entire chapter 9 of Job describes just how full of sin that man really is. Nothing we can do of ourselves can make us spotless. Only the sacrifice can make us clean. To his accusers, Job says, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be right before God? Job 9.2 It's interesting, because after Job, describing how all men are born into sin, Zophar starts attacking any man or woman that confesses their sin, these legalistic false teachers find fuel for their fire. Zophar was partly correct in his theology, but he was only showing one side of the coin. Our sin is filthy. It's punishable by death. We all deserve to die. No man is worthy even of the breath we breathe. But Zophar responded to Job with this harsh and this bitter accusation. Zophar, speaking to Job, he says this, But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. Job 11.20 I've heard cult pastors mimicking the prophet, pretending to have this gift of mind-reading that William Branham falsely taught was spiritual discernment. The gift of discerning from right from wrong is changed into fortune-telling. Let me guess what's your name and your address on the back of your card. These wolves behind the pulpits, 
beat their congregations down with their charismatic style screaming so that after breaking their legs, they can single-handedly carry each sheep up to be sheared. They want to become the hero of the story, the one who single-handedly turned the people into righteousness, completely bypassing the throne of mercy. If they only knew of their sins, as they call them, if they only knew that <clears throat> changes in outward appearance or these other unscriptural rules were given by a false teacher, they'd realize that they themselves need the grace that Jesus Christ is offering. But in the cult of William Branham, men are lifted up into power. Even in the book of Job, the book and the story is twisted, which is a story that actually represents the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Christ's atonement for sin is sufficient. But rather than leaning on a firm foundation of the sacrifice that we find in the Bible, Branham claims that Job instead leans on prophecy. Instead of the book of Job representing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Branham wanted to twist the book of Job to represent himself. He says this in that same sermon, I have heard, but now I see. He says, now we see this great man. And remember, Job had no Bible to read in his day. No, he went out by inspiration. He was a prophet to whom the word of the Lord comes to. He only had to be inspired because he knowed his position was that he was God's prophet. Now, the only thing that had to happen was for the inspiration to strike him. And then he knowed that what he said would happen because it was by inspiration. It's crazy. That's not in the Bible. Towards the end of the sermon of his teaching of Job, he, the story twists to become Job's message for the hour. And then he calls these people out. If they have the Holy Spirit, they will see the message. In contrast, that means that if they're not following the cult, they must not have the Holy Spirit. He says this, No matter how religious you are, how many churches you belong to, how many books your name's on, if that genuine Holy Ghost is in you, which is this word manifested, get this, you'll see the message of the hour because it's the Holy Ghost that does it. But there had to be something. Light off that. Inspiration strike you. And if there's if you pour water on the ground, on the ground, and there's no seed to strike it, how can it ever bring forth anything? There's nothing there to bring forth to nothing there to bring forth. That is the only elected of God will see it. In other words, if you're not in my cult, you are not part of the bride of Christ. At this point, William Branham has become Zophar. Unless you believe what I'm telling you, you're going to be lost. Listen to me. Forget about that sacrifice back on the hill at Calvary. That's the past. This is the present. You can claim the cross all you want to, but unless you believe these fictional stories I'm telling you, you're going to hell. Another extra biblical event that you may have missed. Job's already been resurrected. Branham could peel back the curtain of time and look into it. And guess which men were resurrected when Christ arose? 
He said, that quickening power came into the grave of Job, where there wasn't even a spoonful of dust of his bones left. After those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, his bones decayed. It went back and turned into the ga gases of the earth, and just a mere ash dust laid there. But yet, when that quickening power, according to the word of God, let me repeat that part, according to the word of God, to the promise, hundreds and hundreds, yes, thousands of years later. But when that quickening power was brought forth from the grave, Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them came out of the grave with him. Woo! How did he know? <laughs> we'll see how he knows. He says, the Bible said so. <laughs> I'd love for any of you to find that in your Bible. Branham points to St. Matthew. He says, St. Matthew, the 27th chapter in the 51st verse. It said, Many of the saints who slept in the dust of the earth resurrected, come out of the graves with him when he went up that Easter morning. Why? They had that potential. They had that quickening power raised from the dead and went with him in the resurrection. Enjoyed the resurrection with him because they were full of that quickening power. They had that genuine Easter seal. Well, you say, I wish I lived back in the Old Testament, Branham says. Friends, don't be those people who sit like a bunch of hippies in circles letting one person tell you of what happened during the movie. Getting the details secondhand. Go to the movie. See it for yourselves. You're already going to movies anyway. You're already breaking one of the legalistic rules by Zophar the prophet. And don't forget, don't read your Bibles secondhand either. Read them for yourselves. In fact, if you read your Bible, you'll quickly find that it's far better than any movie that you could possibly sneak into the theaters and see. And you don't have to look over your shoulders to see if there's any other people from the church behind you noticing you're there. You won't have that awkward moment when you run into another cult church member inside the theater. It's a good book. It's excellent stories, inspired and created by God. And you'll find that all stories in the Bible point to Christ, not some great Zophar that will one day rise and shake his finger of accusation. All books, every one of them, point to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on the cross, not the reason that the sacrifice was necessary. Even during the Law of Moses, the book, the Bible, describes how unworthy we really are, unable to live even for a generation without falling back into sin. Without the sacrifice, the hand of the Almighty would obliterate us and wipe us from the face of the earth. Choose the sacrifice for your salvation, not some man who pretended to be a prophet. A prophet is not going to save your soul from hell. Only Christ can save. And he's already done it for you on the cross. All you have to do is believe it. After being in the cult, there are two passages that I lean on. Colossians 2.18 and Ephesians 2.8. And I'm not a big fan of taking single verses and snipping them out of context, reading them like William Branham did in each sermon. But I think you'll find that these two verses fit together just like a glove. Listen to how they sound together, but then I urge you to go back and read the entire chapter for each of these passages. Let no man give you a single verse as a context for his message to you. Go read the book. 
for yourselves, not sitting around campfires hearing how another man read the book. Here are the two passages. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about his visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God bless you.